Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. There's a great old saying that goes, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And we've all heard it. We all have chased that grass probably at some point in our lives where no matter what you've got going on in your life, you think something is better on the other side. Somebody has greener grass. And then uh, obviously you find out it's not necessarily the case. I'm going to use that as an example to talk about the transfer portal today. Really why the transfer portal blows to be honest with you. Now, look, there are good aspects of the transfer portal. There are bad aspects of the transfer portal. And the reason I'm going to discuss it this week is a couple days ago, Storm Duck announced that he, or news broke that Storm Duck is going to enter the transfer portal and leave Penn State after being there for less than four months. Before I do any of that, though, I want to enrich your life somehow, some way, I looked it up. Where does the saying, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, where does that come from? So I did a little digging. This took me, man, it took a long time, you know, because the internet is, you just never know where to find things. On now, this took me literally about 50 seconds, maybe. Uh, I found this site called prowritingaid.com. Grass is greener on the other side. Where does it come from? Here's what they say. The phrase dates back to the Greek poet Ovid, who lived in the first century BC. The original saying was, the harvest is always richer in another man's field. But, goes on to say, the proverb as we know it comes from an American folk song written by Raymond B. Egan and Richard A. Whiting in 1924, 90 Nine years ago, the song is called The Grass is Always Greener in the Other Fellow's Yard. And uh, even got some lyrics. This is ProWritingAid.com. It's a good website. Here's some lyrics from the song. The grass is always greener in the other fellow's yard. The little row we have to hoe. Oh, boy, that's hard. But if we could all wear green glasses now, (laughs) it wouldn't be so hard to see how green the grass is in our own back yard. Wow. <laughs> okay, so hopefully I haven't bored you to tears with that uh, history background, but it is a fascinating concept in our society that no matter what we have, we always think somebody else has it better. So now I'll finally talk some football here. Storm Duck, one of the great names in college football history, one of the greatest names ever in Penn State football history, and we know, we won't even ever get to see him play a football game uh, because he's going to be transferring out. But he's second-team All-ACC at North Carolina as a cornerback, comes to Penn State. A lot was expected. I remember writing stories, people thinking he could be a you know third-round draft pick next year, whatever. Comes to Penn State for the spring, not able to beat out Kalen King, apparently, and Johnny Dixon. And so Storm Duck decides he's going to see if the grass is greener somewhere else. Now, the, the, this is why the transfer portal absolutely blows. OK, this is not the worst case example of a guy going into the portal uh, that, that we've seen. You want the worst case example. 
You've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of college basketball players who go into the transfer portal and never find a home anywhere. That's why the portal blows, because the promise of the grass being greener on the other side, you get to the other side. Not only is the grass not greener, there is no damn grass. You're in a desert and nobody wants you. That's the peril of the transfer portal, and especially so in college basketball. In college football, somebody like Storm Duck absolutely will land another spot. A very good cornerback, he'll land somewhere you know, and probably be a starter uh, this fall. But it, you, you hope so, because we live in a society now where if you don't get what you want right away, people take the path of least resistance and they try to find something else. So Storm Duck leaves North Carolina, quality football program, coming to Penn State, quality football program. He's thinking he's going to help his future. Now it turns out he's without a home here, at least for a little while. So of the many, many ways that the transfer portal blows, you know, you kind of, you get used to the thought Penn State's kind of planning on, hey, what, what, can we do with Storm Duck as part of our defense with Kalen King, with Johnny Dixon, with a good secondary? And, you know, Manny Diaz, Terry Smith, they're making plans, you know, of what they're going to do with this young man. Then he's not able to get a starting job and he decides to go. Should we blame him? Okay, that's where things really get interesting with the transfer portal. When guys think that the grass is greener on the other side and they decide to move on, should we take a look at them and say, hey, you're not a competitor. Hey, you're running away from your problems. You're taking the path of least resistance. In a lot of cases, that very well might be the case. In this guy's particular situation, He's got one year left of college football. He might be an NFL player. He probably will get drafted in 2024. Some, as long as he has a good year somewhere, he needs to play. And so if he's going to be at Penn State and he's going to back up Kalen King and Johnny Dixon and not get on the field as much, well, then that hurts his NFL future and that hurts his career, his life, his family, his future. So... Do we cut the guy some slack and say, hey, it makes sense. If he wants to go see if the grass is greener on the other side, then let him go. And maybe it will be for him. But but it may not. And maybe staying at Penn State and being a part of a top 10 team with a great defense, even if you are backing up Kalen King and Johnny Dixon at quarterback, cornerback, you still might be in the limelight and the spotlight enough and develop yourself, develop your body, get yourself ready for the NFL. And so, I mean, hey, Storm Duck might go somewhere, have a pretty nice year, and not necessarily develop his body as well as he might at Penn State in their program. Might not test as well at the Combine, even after a good year, and may not end up getting drafted as high as if he were to stay at Penn State, even if he weren't necessarily a starter. And I'll get to what it means for Penn State, the fact that Storm Duck is not going to be a starter and leaving in a second. But you see what I'm getting at. There's no way to determine. 
And what the transfer portal has allowed is people don't even want to try. They don't even want to wait it out. They don't even want to attempt to continue to compete. Maybe if Storm Duck stays through the summer and, and fall camp, he beats out Johnny Dixon and then has the fruits of playing for a, a potentially great defense in the fall. Instead, he decides to leave. And so, look, I don't think a lot of Penn State fans are going to lose sleep over Storm Duck leaving. You know, We don't know what kind of player he was going to be. I think he could have been a pretty good player. But this all just comes back to this notion of, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And, you know, sure, I can completely understand why the guy decides he needs to go so he can play a lot his, his final year of college football. But at the same time, why did he leave North Carolina? What went into the decision process at Penn State? Did he not know that Kalen King and Johnny Dixon were there? Who was guiding the young man? Who was, who would, who was advising him? How did he end up? How did he end up thinking that the grass was going to be greener at Penn State, and then not realize that in four months, if he doesn't beat people out, he's got to transfer again? Okay, that's where the biggest area of the transfer portal blows. Who is advising all of these athletes? Football, basketball, whatever the sport. What information are they getting? Are they just taking the first good opportunity that comes along or are they truly thinking long and hard and trying to find the right opportunity if indeed they are leaving? Look, Penn State has benefited from the transfer portal in numerous ways. Arnold Ebicady was an All-American player getting him from the transfer portal. Uh, They've gotten a, a number of good players. Hunter Norzad will be on uh, the offensive line this year. Look, there, there's no, there, there's no mistake in the fact that Penn State has benefited and has done a good job in going out and finding the right guys. And we thought they had done so with Storm Duck. But again, I just keep coming back to the whole grass isn't always greener because you look, if you're a good football player, they will find you. I don't know why, but as I was saying that the name that popped into my head was Christian Okoye. If you're older and you remember the Kansas city chiefs running back from 25, 30 years ago, whenever the guy played at Azusa Pacific. Okay. Have any of you ever heard of Azusa Pacific? I'm going to try to Google it here while I'm talking to see if it even still exists because the only thing I have ever heard anything about, and it does, it's in uh, Azusa, California. The only thing I've ever heard about Azusa Pacific is that's where Christian Okoye is from. If you can play, they will find you. Okay. And so that's what bugs me the most about all these guys feeling like they've got to go land somewhere else with the biggest school. You can be a big fish in a small pond. You can still get noticed. You can still develop yourself. And so uh, I I just really personally hate where we are with college athletics, with the transfer portal and NIL, all of it on top of each other, working together as that double-edged sword of, you know, why would anybody stay at any school for four years anymore? If you can go make more money somewhere else or go get more playing time or a better opportunity somewhere else, uh, hey, I get it. A lot of folks do think the grass is greener. But the sad reality is, and again, I'm, I'm talking a lot about basketball here as well because I love college basketball, but it certainly is the case in football as well. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. Sometimes you face a bigger storm and the ducks have all flown away, quack, quack.
right, welcome back. Another issue I want to get into this week is Beaver Stadium and the whole renovation, uh, rebuild debate. We, we got some clarity this week, some terrific reporting by Nate Bauer from Blue White Illustrated, uh, uh, uncovered a lot of information about how the university appear, appears to be set uh, to make a proposal to spend a whole freaking bunch of money to renovate Beaver Stadium. And we've known for a while they were going to renovate. Uh, the number I've always thought, you know, just, and I've got a, kind of a little bit of an assumption, kind of talking to some people, but really mostly just kind of guessing a little bit was that it would take about half a billion dollars to, to renovate Beaver Stadium because the place is just a dump. I mean, it, it's, it's just an absolute dump. Uh, underneath, and there's so many things that have to be fixed. So I always felt that $500 figure, you know, would be somewhat accurate. Nate Bauer, in his reporting, came up with the figure of $700 million. D- Dr. Evil, $700 million. All right. So uh, that's a huge number. And Obviously, when you're talking about a hundred seven thousand seat stadium, we went back. We went through this, you know, a few months ago uh, about rebuild versus renovate, all those things. And I remember, maybe I wrote this. I don't think I did it in a podcast. Was thinking, hey, maybe it would cost two to three billion dollars to build a new stadium, and then and, and therefore it wouldn't be economically feasible. But in Nate Bauer's reporting again for Blue White Illustrated, I'm going to read you the paragraph. Other estimates through the course of the planning process landed at more than $1.2 billion for a whole stadium renovation and $1.5 billion to build new on a site adjacent to Beaver Stadium's current location. Both options were rejected as financially unviable. So let's, let's spend other people's money here for a few minutes. So I find it fascinating that to renovate the whole, now what they're going to do is they're going to renovate half the stadium from an outward standpoint, and then a whole bunch of stuff underneath new press box, which we love, we we in the media are going to love, and then redo, uh, you know, fix up a whole lot of things that maybe aren't necessarily seen by the public. But that the number that jumps out to me is that it was going to cost $1.2 billion to renovate the whole stadium. And yet 1.5 billion to build a new stadium. That is just, uh, that, that is such an incredibly staggeringly close figure that, I mean, I, I always thought renovating the stadium was going to cost a ton of money. And then, but building a new stadium would cost tons more. Okay. But again, according to this, uh, to renovate the entire stadium, $1.2 billion, to just say, hey, let's go build a new $1.5 billion. Now, who knows what the, if those numbers are, are real projections or whatever and how things could change over time. But I want to ask you the question of if they're going to spend $700 million to renovate half the stadium and then a lot of stuff underneath, why not just go ahead and build new if indeed the number is $1.5 billion. This is where it's always fun to spend other people's money. Whoa, that's a difference of $800 million. Geiger, that's an enormous amount. Of, well, obviously, obviously, 
<laughs> spending one point five billion. Nobody, nobody wants to, to ever take on, take on a project where the cost starts with a B. Okay, uh, to spend one point five billion uh, is just an enormous, enormous figure. But so is seven hundred million. And here's my concern about all of this: if you're going to spend seven hundred million over the next couple of years, whenever we don't know all the particulars or details of when this could start or be finished, if you're going to spend seven hundred million, would it just be more financially uh, wise to go ahead and spend the one and a half billion? To start new because, okay, say they finish the project, I just throw out a number, 2025, okay? Are they going to need to come back and fix more parts of this dilapidated stadium in 20 years, 25 years? How much might that cost? Might that be another two, three hundred million? If so, well, now your total is seven. Now your total is a full billion already. Okay, if you spend seven hundred million now, you spend three hundred million in twenty twenty five years. You're at a billion, and that three hundred million you will have been spending maybe down the road on something that'll fix whatever problems you've got then. But then, what another fifteen, twenty, thirty years? Might you have more? Problems? The stadium is old; it was piecemealed together. You know. I, I truly wonder. I do truly wonder when they when they, they get involved in all of this and they start all the architecture and all the uh, experts and, and everything and they get underneath and they're examining and they're building all this stuff. I truly wonder if they're going to find more problems than they even realize that they had. OK, I'm no expert in any of this stuff. I'm the opposite of the construction guy. You know, that's that's not me at all. But doesn't it stand to reason with as old as things are and as rickety as that erector set has has been for a long time? Doesn't it would, would it surprise anybody if they get involved in this and they say, whoa, Nelly, this is this is worse than we thought. Now, the 700 million. What if it's 800 million? What if it's 900 million? What if construction costs are so? I mean, that's where, again, if if the total were five hundred million to renovate and two billion to build new, two and a half billion to build new, yeah, I think that's pretty much common sense. You go ahead and renovate at seven hundred million versus one point five billion. I just wonder what the. What the process is going to be like? What are things going to look like financially in 20, 25 years, in 40 to 50 years? If you build a new stadium from the scratch, from scratch right now, how much better off would you be financially in 50 years as opposed to 700 million now, two, 300 million in 20, 25 years, 200 million in another 50, 50 years? You know, at some point, are you just kind of continuing to throw good money at bad money? I, I wrote in the story at DK Pittsburgh Sports about, hey, if, if you've got a car that's worth $20,000 and you've got to spend $10,000 to fix it, how many of you are just going to go get a new car? Most of you. You'll find a way to finance a new car. You're going to spend a ten grand on a car that's worth twenty. Not out of your own pocket. If insurance is doing that's what. How about if you have a house worth 400000 and it's going to cost 200000 to fix up your house? How many of you are going to do that? Are you just going to go, you know, go buy another house? Okay. 
So now obviously we're talking something very different. Histor- historical means a tremendous amount to so many people. 107,000 seat stadium. That is Penn State's identity. 107,000 strong, fourth largest stadium in the world. They take tremendous pride. And Pat Kraft said back in December, nobody's building a 100,000 seat stadium anymore. So again, that $1.5 billion figure, who knows where exactly these came from. If they could get a 107,000 seat stadium for $1.5 billion, and yet they're going to spend $700 million to renovate half the stadium, I do at least think it's worth questioning uh, the, the, the thought process there. And, and we're not going to know the answer to this. I can pose this question in April of 2023. We're not going to know the answer to this until 2063, 2073, 40, 50 years down the road. You know, if they've gone, if they've, if they do the job and everything goes well for 30, 40, 50 years and they don't have to come back to this for some huge amount of money again. Okay. Job well done. Good decision. If they got to keep pouring money into it and it's a money pit over the next half century and they could have just been better off building a new anyway. Uh, it would be, it would be very interesting to have the public really ask a lot of these very tough questions uh, and to be able to hear board of trustees and other university officials with their discussions on all this. Because again, as, as, as huge of a figure as 1.5 billion is, I, I was taken aback by the differential figure of 700 million versus 1.5 billion. I thought the, the difference would be a lot greater. Welcome to the third and final segment of this week's We Are podcast. We're going to talk some NFL draft here since we've got that coming up later on in the week. And uh, a lot of it has been written and said. Obviously, it's a Pittsburgh site. Joey Porter Jr., would he be a good fit for the Steelers? Will he still be around with the 17th pick? Uh, I don't really believe that he will. I think he's probably going to go somewhere 13. 15 or whatever, should the Steelers trade up to get Joey Porter Jr., trade up a couple spots if they feel like he is uh, the best fit. He's probably the third best quarter cornerback behind Gonzalez and Weatherspoon, and then you take Joey. And But the Steelers could get a, a cornerback somewhere else. They could get one at 32, 49. They can still get a good cornerback Will he be as good of a fit maybe as Joey Porter? I don't know. So I don't necessarily think Joey goes to the Steelers at 17, but he will be a first-round pick. And I've always found this to be just an amazing uh, tidbit of information. Penn State has never, in its tremendous history of football, had a first-round pick be a defensive back, ever. That, that, that is just staggering to think that of all the first rounders they've had, especially on defense as well, a defensive back from Penn State has never gone in the first round of the NFL draft. That will change with Joey Porter and uh, wish him the best of luck after just a fantastic 2022 season. One guy that I do want to discuss a little bit here, I'm going to write about this throughout the week as well, and that is Parker Washington. 
Now, I'm going to make a statement here and say that I think Parker Washington made a mistake coming out of college early and entering the draft. Now, that is just a general statement, and I'm going to, I'm going to defend Parker's decision here in just a second, give you the other side. But my feeling is, okay, now look, first of all, I'm not sure Parker Washington is really uh, a high-level NFL receiver anyway. I thought he was a good but not great college receiver. I think he can be a nice little, a, a nice target a possession receiver in the NFL. But personally, I, I just don't see a phenomenal upside for Parker Washington in the NFL. I, I just don't. I hope he proves me wrong. If he does, I'll come on here in two, three, four years and I'll say, hey, I was wrong. Parker Washington's awesome. What the hell do I know? But what I know now, at least I think, is that Parker was a good but not great college receiver who could have gotten a lot better if he come if he had come back to Penn State for one more year. So to me personally, in my humble opinion, I think he made a mistake going to the draft because he, he's injured. He's not really been able to do much as far as we know, working out for teams, showing teams what he can do physically. So not only do you have a guy that really wasn't a great college receiver anyway, he gets hurt, he misses the end of the year, uh, lower body injury, some kind of leg injury, we don't know exactly, but he misses the end of the year. Not, you know, maybe he's 100% now. He was not 100% at pro day because he wasn't able to to compete uh, or, or, you know, do anything for the scouts. So we don't know what Parker Washington has been able to show scouts. And so you add up all these factors, just a giant gamble. And Parker said, hey, he bet on himself. He thinks, and you hear players say this a lot. Hey, I bet on myself. But you know, you know who you hear that from a lot? You hear that from players who bet on themselves and win. We don't. We don't interview players who bet on themselves and lose and are colossal failures because they'll tell you, hey, I bet on myself. Oh, but I lost badly and lost everything. Okay. We, we don't hear those stories. Okay. We hear, we always hear the story. Oh, I bet on myself. I, I bet on myself and I won. Well, great. But like I mentioned in the first segment, the grass isn't always greener. A lot of dudes bet on themselves and end up losing badly. Okay. I wonder if Parker Washington is going to end up regretting this decision. Um, because again, I just I don't I don't know what he's been able to do for NFL scouts, and and if if there's going to be a feeling first from NFL teams out there, hey, yeah, since since there's some uncertainty, he, we might drop him and he might continue to drop. Maybe he could be in the third round. I don't know, but if he goes in the fifth round, well, that's clearly a significant drop for for a Parker Washington. Okay, now. I do want to say, mention the other side, and this is the human being side. Some guys are just ready to be done with college. Okay. And this part I can completely understand. Okay. I can say from a football standpoint, Parker Washington could have really helped himself by coming back to Penn State for another year, potentially, potentially. But his personal situation, his goals in life, where he is in life. Very smart young man. Always enjoy talking with Parker. Uh, good, good leader, good representative of the university. You know, hey, some guys are just ready to be done with college. And it's not necessarily about, you know, feeling like they've got something else to prove or whatever. You know, it's college. When you, I, I call them athlete students, 
for those who aren't aware, I stopped calling them student athletes a while back. I call them athlete students because I think those guys are there to be athletes first and students second. And, you know, but they do still have to go to class. They do still have to take tests. They do still have to have, you know, these parts of their lives that uh, are, are not just all football. And some guys are just ready to be done with that. You know, and, and I, I do get that. And so I'm not going to I don't want to you know, sound overly critical of Parker Washington or anybody leaving college early. It's their life. It's their decision. We've all got to make very difficult decisions. I've had to make some. I've made bad decisions in my life. You've made bad decisions in your life. Sometimes you think, sometimes you make a decision that other people don't agree with, but it ends up being a good decision for you. And hopefully this will be a good decision for Parker Washington. I, I just, again, I just don't see him having tremendous upside in the NFL anyway. Then he's injured and he can't show teams what he can do. So, I, again, I think that's kind of a double whammy for him. Um, but look, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully he has a, a nice, hopefully he's fully healthy before too long. And whoever drafts him ends up getting a steal. One other component to this is maybe Parker felt that he wasn't going to help himself coming back for another year. Okay. You know, I mean, he catches 50 something balls this year. Maybe he comes, maybe, maybe he's told he's a late third, fourth round pick. Okay. What is Parker Washington going to do next year to turn himself into a second round pick? Is there anything he could have done? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe with Drew Aller coming out and having a monster year, if Parker Washington catches 90 passes, you know, and lights it up against Michigan and Ohio State. Sure, anything is possible. He did have a terrific game against Ohio State this year. the best game of his career. Uh, but, you know, was there is there anything he could do coming back for another year in his own mind or from scouts' minds to, to go from late third, early fourth to late second, early third? That's a significant amount of money. You know, it is. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe Maybe there wasn't much that he could do. I mean, I don't know. We, we're, we're, we're always guessing when it comes to the NFL draft. Uh, nobody is a draft expert. Not me, not you, not Mel Kuyper, not Todd McShay, not anybody. We all get things wrong. We all think we have an idea what teams think of these players. And then ultimately, we, we really don't. Uh, but, you know, with this player in particular, uh, it just seemed it just seemed odd to me. I I was kind of going on the assumption a few months ago that of course he would com- be coming back. Why would he turn pro now? Uh, but he did. So best of luck to him. Uh, some other guys going into the draft as well. Uh, uh, expect to get drafted. I will recap all of that on next week's We Are podcast. Uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm yeah, the, I usually record these on Saturday nights. I'll probably wait till Sunday next week. Uh, you know, once everything is all finished, although the draft will be over on Saturday, so we'll we'll kind of get into that. I'll, I'll come up with a plan for when we'll when we'll uh, have next week's podcast up. We'll recap all the draft picks. Let you know of any other news that's going on with uh, the Penn State athletic program as well. Thanks for tuning in, as always, everybody. Enjoy the draft. We'll talk to you next week.